0: absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f***?
2: Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So on Monday, Sean Connery proved why shotguns in space are a bad idea in Outland, but today it's swords in space, which are a great idea as failed TV show Firefly gets the big screen treatment as our space westerns clash continues with 2005's Serenity.
0: I'm taking your sister under my protection here. The only people she's a threat to is us on
2: this boat. Where are you hiding, little girl? Alliance wanted the
1: reason they shouldn't have sent an assassin.
2: Every minute you keep River Tam from me, more
0: people will die. This was your fault. I don't murder children. I do.
2: We'll have a winner at the end of the show. But which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. The
0: Kraken.
2: Hello, Clash butters. I ain't had nothing twixt my legs that didn't run on batteries. I'm Alex Zane. She
1: doesn't say legs. Like, she says Nevers. Really? Yeah, that's why he's so good. Because that's a right. weird thing to say. <laughs> 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 but fine. Sorry, I'm Vicky Crompton.
2: I'm Chris Tillys. Is it Nevers? Yeah. i embarrassed. It, it definitely is. Oh, wow.
1: Are you embarrassed because you don't like saying Nevers? Y- yes. That's
2: it. <laughs> That's the bit I'm embarrassed about. I ain't had nothing, Twix, man. That works better. Yeah, I can see why it would be that. Yeah. All right, then. Hello. uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, So, how are you both? Good? Excellent. Yes. Lovely stuff. Right. Uh, Very quickly, uh, if you haven't subscribed to us, uh, would you be kind enough to do that? It would be amazing. Uh, We would love it. And we would love you for doing it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, leave us. I just swallowed a fly. (laughs) I got it. You didn't. There's no flies in here. Something flew into yeah, my throat. not a fly. What then? A moth?
3: I, I sent a little bit of spit your way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, as I was saying, um, if you can leave us a rating or review, that would be great. And if you leave us a review, uh, it might be read out on the quick, show. Quick, throw it to me. Quick and have some water. <laughs> Chris to the AKA okay. Chris
3: Thrilly. Have some water. Uh, this is from Dan, who says, I love this podcast so much, I told my son to listen and now we are travelling from different parts of the country to see it live together.
1: Oh, wow! <laughs> That's amazing! Yes.
3: Um, so, uh, Dan goes to write uh, it's both funny and informative and the chemistry between the host truly comes through the speakers. Thank you so much, even if the wrong film occasionally wins. Yeah. That course, never yeah. happens. Referencing Deep Impact. Um, Armageddon's a piece of crap. It's
0: um, better than Deep Impact. It, no, it isn't. <laughs> it is. It oh, isn't. No, it is.
3: Listen to the show. No, I have. Um, and I repeatedly. explain it. No,
2: it's, um, it's definitely Armageddon. So that's
3: a lovely message. Bringing families together. Um, but where are these two generations coming to see us live, Alex?
2: They're coming to see us live at the London Podcast (laughs) Festival, very near King's Cross Station here in London. We're on at 9.30pm and Chris and I were just discussing as the last show on, maybe we'll just carry on into the (laughs) dawn. Uh,
1: (laughs) Will will that be allowed? (laughs) Just keep going. Till they kick us out. We're we're trying to
3: figure out the format at the moment and and timings and yeah, we'll do a four-hour show. It's going to be a hell of a party. I want you there. Yes, uh, so head to the London Podcast Festival website uh, for tickets uh, or the pinned tweet on our Twitter has a link to where you can buy tickets That's as well. right,
2: yeah, check us out at ClashPod on Twitter and you can find out all the details about how you can come along. And please do uh, come along if you are able to make it to London on September the 4th. It should be very special. And we'll be announcing the films shortly that we're going to be covering on our live show. Mm. Right then. My choices this week. Part two of our Space Westerns Clash, Outland versus Serenity. So on Monday, Victoria was confined to a space station but with nothing but some space drugs to entertain her. But today, Chris is on a universe-traversing adventure in Serenity. Chris takes on a journey.
3: Serenity is a film about a plucky team of rebels battling their dictatorial overlords called The Alliance, made by a plucky team of artists battling their corporate overlords called The Fox Network. Uh, Cancelled before the first season had finished airing, Joss Whedon resurrected TV series Firefly at Universal, renamed it Serenity, and turned the show into a major motion picture. The plot revolves around Alliance efforts to create a utopia by any means necessary, and their search for Lilu from The Fifth Element, who kills with the power of dance. <laughs> but the real story was that fans of Firefly got the finale they deserved. Alex and Vicky, for your podcasting pleasure, Serenity.
2: Uh, So, Alex, these were your choices. So Mm. when did you first see Serenity? Uh, I was working at MTV in 2005, so I went to an advanced press screening of Serenity, which I don't really remember very clearly, but I do remember sitting down to interview uh, Joss Whedon Mm -hmm. as a result of that screening at the Soho Hotel in central London. And the reason I can't really remember watching Serenity in that viewing is because I'm pushing 15 times that I've seen this film. Mm. So they've started to... Meld into one. Indeed, I didn't really need to watch it for this podcast because I know it off by heart. Wow. Vicky?
1: I've seen it once before and I watched it because... So I hadn't seen Firefly. Mm -hmm. I watched it for work reasons and I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I was like, cool, seeing seen it, but it didn't really make a major impact with me. And I was I was excited to see it again, which I admitted to you. But it, yeah, it just didn't hit for me in the way I was like, I will watch this 15 you times. You watched it
3: for work reasons? When I
1: was an agent, so you had to ah, try and watch everything. Um, yeah. So that's the only reason I was like, I, sh- I need to watch this because everyone's uh, talking about it. And all I remember is any time that River Tam is on the ceiling, but that's in the trailer, so that might be a false memory. And I also remember Wash dying very clearly. And that was kind of it.
3: Did it inspire you to watch Firefly?
1: No, which is bad, isn't nah, fair it? Fair
3: enough. Fair enough. Alex, had mm. you seen Firefly before you watched?
2: I hadn't, and I still haven't. What you've what? I don't. What? How can you watch the film fifteen times and not watch the TV show? Is it because better than the TV as show? As Joss Whedon intended, it's a standalone movie that doesn't require you to have watched Firefly to enjoy the cinematic. I know, experience. but he probably hoped that it would encourage you to want to see more of these characters. <laughs> but
3: no, because because it follows. Sorry, the fourteenth time you think oh. There's new stories in this universe. (laughs) Do you
2: know what? I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying. However, the events that take place in the film take place after Firefly. So, And I'm really not a fan of prequels and movies set before events that happen later. And also, I thought that perhaps the budget of the TV show would disappoint once you've watched Serenity on the big screen. I'd be like, oh, it doesn't look quite as good. So... There were reasons I did think about watching weird. Firefly. That's weird. I it's I not that weird. I was at the world premiere of this film. Oh,
3: at the Edinburgh Festival. Weirdly, this film premiered globally. Uh, so yeah, went up there, watched it, interviewed Joss as well. Mm. Um, I had not seen Firefly, but then I thought, oh, I really enjoyed that film. Weird. I'm going to watch the TV show. <laughs> what a weird uh, thing to but, do. To spend more time with these characters. And what I do remember is, it's I just I think this is what maybe inspired me to get Netflix. Okay. Because it was the first time I had discs that I sent off and then sent back. And okay. it was how I was able to watch the series because I don't think it was easily accessible on
2: TV at the time. Is the series good? Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's good. Yeah, okay. very good. It's terrific. And they released, because I know they, they stopped broadcasting it after, what was it, 11 or 12 episodes on Fox. Mm. Uh, they didn't even finish the first series, but you can no. get the whole series. Yes, you right. can. And, and they also,
3: certainly in America, they screened it out of order. So he 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 wrote a pilot made a pilot and then they were like yeah that doesn't feel like the first episode so <laughs> we're going to put this episode first and so it was uh- Uh, It was doomed from the beginning, really. So let's talk about it. Um, Riding high from the success of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and having just read a book about the Battle of Gettysburg called The Killer Angels, Joss Whedon was inspired to write a TV Western, but one that's set in space. The idea was to follow a group of people who had fought on the losing side of the war, uh, chronicling their experiences as pioneers and immigrants, but in this version, on the literal fringes of civilization. So the show premiered on Fox in September 2002. And as Alex said, it was cancelled after only 14 of its, uh, 11 of its 14 episodes uh, had aired. But the story was very much still in motion. This was an ongoing uh, tale that Joss Whedon wanted to tell. So he pitched the series elsewhere. And when no network expressed any interest, he contacted Universal about potentially turning season two into a movie. And he found safe harbour there. As president of production, Mary Parent was a fan of the show and based on the story Whedon came up with and the fact that the first DVD run of the series sold out in 24 hours, Parent gave the movie a green light. And it's interesting watching the behind the scenes of this um, DVD and the commentary and stuff. You hear about these studios interfering and being difficult. Mary Parent was very involved with the making of this movie and if you hear Joss Whedon talk about it, every decision she made was correct. Every change she suggested, every note she gave them, he said that she's a big reason this movie works. If you right. like this movie, and he had this great relationship with Universal as well. Like this, having had this awful um, relationship with Fox for the series, the film it was completely smooth running as far as he was concerned. Mm. Uh, so his first draft was 190 pages. That's
1: <laughs> too long.
2: I, I still don't understand how this keeps happening.
1: Neither do I. But he, he,
2: he does call that draft, he calls that draft the kitchen sink. That's what he handed it in under the title of, as in this is everything, mm. and then let's work backwards from there. Exactly. Because um, he, he
3: did have an issue in that he was trying to make a film for both longtime fans of this series and The Uninitiated, which is a challenge. That sounds like a nightmare. Yes. Um, so while the cast remained the same, uh, he changed the title from Firefly to Serenity. He cut that script down to a more manageable page count, and he got his series finale made for a whopping $40 million.
2: So it kind of worked out for him in the end, but down from a hundred because they were talking about giving him a hundred million for this. And when you know what the box office is, thank God they didn't. Mm. But but
3: it's forty million is still a lot more than the series would have cost if it if this had been season two.
2: Is that right? I don't know how much a yeah. uh, a season like Firefly would cost because I mean uh, yeah of course it would because he, he, Game of Thrones episode is what one point five million. Is, uh, yeah, million. and this is way pre yeah, yeah, Ga- yeah, sure, the, sure, the, sure. the
3: end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, so that's about it, really. Um, in terms of the behind the scenes, should we talk about the film itself?
2: Because that's sure. what we're here to do.
3: <laughs> and it starts by them having fun with the Universal logo. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah,
2: Universal slips out of the way, and we focus in on Future Earth with rocket ships launching because it can't support planet life anymore. We've <laughs> we taken it. We've taken it too far.
1: We have, but you find out on an instructional kind of flashback video, and so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that beginning.
3: So introducing the Alliance is my first section. Uh, As Vicky says, we kick off with this recap uh, of the story of Firefly via a history lesson to a bunch of kids, including young River Tam, played by Summer Glau. We're in the 26th century. Earth was full, so we terraformed planets in a new solar system. China and America formed a superpower called the Alliance on the central planets, but their vision for utopia was not shared by those on the outer planets. So a civil war ensued which the plucky independents lost. That's what Firefly tells us. This tells us a different story, though, because the victors tend to write history. And this is the Alliance telling the story to a young River. So the message is very much that they won because they were on the side of good. Right. I like what they did there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we realise River is dreaming. So it starts to shift expectations already. Um, and she's being experimented on. There are scientists uh, talking about her and explaining that she's a living weapon who is also psychic, making her ideal for defence deployment.
1: Kind of ideal, but she's also psychotic. So I would say maybe use like the plan B one a bit, but fine. <laughs>
2: They're still working on it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> she is a bit like Lilu though from Fifth Element. Do you think so? Yeah, I think so. I, I didn't see that. I think so. Like no. a child in a woman's body and a, raising it all there and she's this weapon. Like there's a lot of similarities.
2: Yeah. All right. I mean, when you put it like that, I've ju- I'm just saying I've never watched this and gone, oh, that's a bit like Lilu." Well, I just did.
3: Her brother Simon is doing the inspection, it seems. Um, But Simon here is witnessing events that he didn't know about in the TV series. So this is one of the ways they retconned the show, which I think was a bit confusing for fans of the series. So he's witnessing events here that he he didn't witness in the TV show. But that's fine. Uh, And then we're thrown again, as this isn't live either. Because... It's a
2: dream within a dream
0: within a dream!
3: (laughs) The operative, played by Chiwetel (laughs) Ejiofor, is watching footage
2: of Simon breaking river out of that prison in some records room. Right, how good is Chiwetel Ejiofor in this? The answer is, absolutely amazing. I wrote down, give the guy an Oscar. Really? I mean, he can't, because it's already passed. You can't, but he's he's such
3: a good villain in this. He is the reason, he's the only reason I was excited to watch this film because he was one of my favourite actors at the time. He's still one of my favourite actors. I think he could have been Bond back then. I'm really mm. glad he didn't do Bond because we would have lost out on loads of good... Some other actor can do Bond. He's too good for Bond. He's,
1: I mean, he's brilliant and he is a brilliant villain. And I, just to be like a bit nitpicky, because he is, you know, a human Terminator, because he's a fanatic, so he can't be reasoned with and all the rest of it. But when he turns it needs to be for a reason that to me is beyond human uh, morality because why, we'll get to it, but why would he care about the thing that happens? But
2: it's not human morality. It's because he believes in the cause that's yeah. been sold to him and it's the cause itself that's
1: failed. Someone like that would be like, that was very unfortunate what happened to those people, but we'll try it again and this time it will be. you talking about wrong. the ending? Yeah, sorry. Vicky,
3: please, sorry. just <laughs> once don't jump to the ending. Why always on
1: my one? I think I'm being told to shut up. <laughs> which is, why always on your ones? It's not about you, Chris. You always want to do the ending first, though. When I start, okay. <laughs> all right. Welcome back. Obviously, it was um, very different without you. <laughs> you
2: got into trouble.
1: <laughs> just one. Just one.
3: Sorry. So uh, I like the way that when he's introduced, he walks through a hologram of her. I, I feel like they're trying to represent that he's somehow connected to her. Um, because he's so intuitive, I think, from this from the word go, that he's almost psychic himself, the operative. And he's got this great scene where he kills a doctor, oh. tells him that his sin is pride. Yep. Um, he, he tells hate, him off for putting key government day. members in a room with a psychic. And then he tells him he should throw himself on his sword. The guy says, I haven't got a sword. He pulls <laughs> out his sword. He paralyses him, holds the sword on the floor and then... I don't know. It's what makes this character quite interesting is that uh, he's got this. He has got a moral compass. It's just somewhat off. Yeah, and so he feels like he needs to make the death personal. He gets up close to him, mm. in in, and then he sort of comforts him mm. as he's killing him. There mm. is no
2: shame in this death. Mm. Yeah, this is a good death. Death mm. as the guy falls on his sword. Oh, uh, it's there's something really dark about being paralysed and seeing a sword in front yeah. of you and falling forwards. Mm. I mean, obviously there's something dark about that, but as a death in a movie like this, you like it sets its stall out quite early that it doesn't pull back on some quite um dark themes and questionable decisions by major characters. And Whedon said that when he wrote that the the
3: the operative has a sword he didn't know what he was going to do with the sword and then as he, as this as he was writing this scene and he figured that out that's where the character came from he knew who this character was via this death um which i think is awesome
2: yeah i mean as as a, as a writing exercise to not know where you're going and then sorry no What
1: you should know you can't be like yeah I've got this idea and it's really cool because he carries a sword I don't know why but I'll figure it out oh there we go he's a fanatic
2: but arguably the sword bit is one of the best bits about his character and to discover that as you're writing surely that's a. don't don't... how do
1: you get to I'm going to create a villain and he's going to carry a sword don't know why like why?
2: Because
3: the swords a cool weapon. Oh, please, totally isn't he? cool. Like, oh,
1: he's cool. Someone going to go in the film? Like, well, no. And then he
3: works back from there. You yeah. should have
1: went backwards from it. You should be like, I've got this idea that. Sorry, Just Whedon, you terrible writer. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I mean, I'm just you know, it's, they can't all be winners. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Uh, is this because he told you off and you're now angry?
1: No, 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 no. And I like your enthusiasm for it. And I, I but just I'm, I'm sort of in the middle. I really, really enjoyed this film. But I, you know, I. You are a fanatic about. You've seen it fifteen times. Mm. You're a zealot. Some (laughs) would say. You are.
2: I'm the operative of this movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Introducing the Serenity. So we then get a four minute steady cam shot that apparently took 40 takes and it gives us the geography of the ship and introduces us to Wash and Jane and Zoe and Kaylee and Simon and River and the captain of the ship Han Solo. I mean, Mel
1: Reynolds. (laughs) Um,
3: Do you feel like they did enough to set the scene for newcomers here, Vicky?
1: So yeah, I do. So I'm conscious that I don't know the history Mm. and I I know that a lot of work has gone into making it work for me as a standalone film. The only time that doesn't quite work is is later when we talk about what a companion is. I didn't, I had to look 100% what, what, what that is.
3: and that he cut a lot of that out yeah. he shot a lot and he cut a lot but and it's, so it's enough I agree
1: this it's all there for me it's a sort of geisha kind of escort mm. kind of thing whatever but i just felt a bit left out of the conversation there but fine but i think because of this opening sequence because there's so much dialogue and there's so much whizzing back and forth and he does those sort of extreme Uh, like pulls focus really quickly as well, so it's the camera sort of swirling around a bit. You do not have time to decide whether you're in or out because you're just watching, like like you've said before, like one-liners, one-liners, and it's fine, you're in. And because if you were going to be out, you know that um, the crew of Serenity are on the side of this girl that you've seen who's been sort of put upon and experimented on, so she's just sort of linchpin of sympathy. So if they're on her team, they're okay by you kind of thing. So it totally works.
2: And it's the dialogue that makes it sing, though, this film. It's yeah. just every line is gold. And then we're on to Lilac, where there is a heist on the planet Lilac. Uh,
3: they enter an outpost to steal from a vault. Uh, though why you take a barefoot woman on a bank robbery
2: <laughs> is beyond me. Give us some shoes.
1: She wants to feel the terrain, though. I get it. Mm. I,
2: I assumed when she's walking through uh, the room where they're all lying face down, it's some, sort of, <laughs> it's some sort of connection. Like, she has to be connected to... The floor. Mm. I mean, again, I didn't see the series, so I don't know. But there was always that assumption, the way she places her feet very carefully as she walks among the hostages, you're like, oh, that's why she has to be barefoot. And I say that being repulsed by feet. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. Are we not going to touch on how great Nathan Fillion is or are you going to do that later because he's possibly the greatest thing in the world?
1: (laughs) I I know that
2: you've obviously... I know
1: why you like him, like... We talked about this, this performance of masculinity. like It's like a simulacrum. Is that the thing? The Baudrillard thing? Yeah. Is that it? Welcome to Vicky's podcast, Half Remember date <laughs> at Levels. But it's like a performance of masculinity where he's got this really like, don't you dare die on me thing. And then he's like, but I'm so hurt. And also I will shoot you in the fucking head if you don't know what I'm saying. And it's just a lot of man, but it's not a real... Thing, but it's like a cool thing so you sort of replicate that the the simulacrum that's right isn't it hmm. yeah.
2: I mean I just think it's fucking cool <laughs> I know you do <laughs> I've never heard that phrase I've okay. never heard that phrase
1: the simulacrum yeah. is the matrix and yeah um, anyway so, The idea like, behind the mission. So, uh, do you like
2: him or not? <laughs> it's
1: difficult, isn't it? I do like him, but it's very performative. Hmm. A performative version of being a man kind of thing. Very growling and all the rest of it. So it's hard to relate to him as a real person, but that's fine. It's not supposed to be like that.
3: I think he gets a good arc in this film, though. Mm, he does. Because, because um, the Reavers show up, the, the kind of villains of the piece who rape and kill and eat the dead. And, and then they kidnap an innocent guy, uh, Dennis from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> And Oh, shit! I
2: didn't <laughs> yeah. even notice! Yeah.
3: Wow, that's great. Uh And then uh, the, the he wants to get on the ship with Mal. Mal says does isn't enough room for them, so the Reavers get him, and then Mal shoots him. And it's quite an important character moment for him, I think, because we see this guy is in a bad place, and that's not something that heroes do. Yeah. Heroes, I mean, he's doing it to essentially save him from a fate worse than death. Mm. But there's three occasions in this film where Mal shoots an unarmed person. Mm-hmm. And so... I like that, and he, it, it, at the moment, at this part of the movie, he doesn't believe in anything, and obviously, his the villain is someone who believes too much in something, and so I think it's a, I think he's a good counterpoint for the villain. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and Nathan Fillion is great,
1: right? Thank yeah, of you. course. Yeah, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you.
3: I don't know why he didn't become the movie star that he should have become.
1: Interesting. He became one. a big TV
2: star, obviously. I've watched all eight seasons of Castle purely because I love him, including the scene where it's the Halloween episode and he comes out <laughs> dressed as Mal, and his daughter goes, "What on earth are you wearing?" And he's like, "Space cowboy."
3: um and so they escape the firefly picks them up and then they head to Beaumont aka uh the star wars cantina um and a subliminal message sets something off in river and the word miranda um causes her to start kicking the crap out of everyone do you know what that message is based on it, yeah, it was. It was from the Simpsons. Apparently, yeah. Wasn't it?
2: You know the famous Mister Sparkle thing, where Homer thinks he's seen himself on the Japanese advert for detergent. Right. That's where Joss Whedon saw that. And was like, I want to do that. Do okay. Mister <laughs> Sparkle. Uh, did you like your Mister Action? Did you like the fight scene? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's weird because it's it's not the uh, the fight scenes that really sort of do it for right. me. Unless they're good. It's it's literally every time someone opens their mouth,
1: <laughs> like gold
2: pours out. It's um. Uh, Chad Stolensky
3: coordinated the fight scene who famously was Keanu Reeves' stunt double on The Matrix and ended up directing Mm -hmm. John Wick. And so um, he said that she worked three... They worked three months uh, on it. Uh, He said she has abnormal flexibility, Summer Glau. (laughs) She was a, a ballet dancer. And like literally he was sort of building it around her so he'd phone up Joss and say I've just realised she can kick a guy around a pole
2: behind her can we build a pole (laughs) and so they built a pole so she could do that uh, which is really cool I don't want us to do a name dropping thing, but you you have met Nathan Fillion, haven't you? I just thought you might want to mention that story. (laughs) You've met him. What was it like? He's a he's a lovely bloke. Him and his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did did, actually. What did you talk about? I mean, I might have had some. (laughs) I just remembered this. I might have had some drinks. I might have had some drinks. And because he'd he Nathan Fillion could have been Ant Man, couldn't he? The
3: girl I was with was asking him if he was going to be Ant Man and why he wasn't Ant Man, and I was telling him he wasn't famous enough. They would cast someone more famous than him. I said, it's, I said, it's not that you're not famous. You're just not famous. They'll, they'll choose someone more famous than you. And his brother was going, I keep saying that to him. I totally agree with you, Chris. I keep telling him he's not famous enough to be Ant-Man. And then uh, they cast someone who was more famous than him as Ant-Man. So I was right. Oh. he's good fun um he'd have to be
1: wouldn't he so what do you say you know chris tilly okay <laughs> thanks for that
3: so uh the serenity now realized they have a weapon on board um and joss whedon said they realize it might not be snow white it might be alien is the film that they're in i don't really get the snow white thing but i get what he means with alien this could this this movie could go in a whole uh different direction so I want to ask about River Tam is mm. she a character or is she just a plot device slash MacGuffin in I think film? she's a plot
1: device definitely mm. and I, I know this is going to piss you right off but At the end, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so there's a character moment between her and her brother, her brother gets hurt and she's like, you're always looking after me and now it's my turn. And that's an exciting moment because you're going to see her beat the shit out of people but you don't feel for her. You're like, yeah, finally, for you that's important. It just feels like a cool thing to do. She conveniently goes to pieces which the script is clever enough to call out so Jane is like, why has she gone to pieces right now? And it's like, yeah, why has she gone to pieces right now? It's so she cannot go to pieces in a minute and fix everything. Mm. But I didn't feel that rush of like, I'm so pleased for you as a person that you found this strength now and you can go and kill all these people.
3: Mm. I think you might have felt it more if you'd watched the show. I think it's one of those things maybe where that's more effective for a long time fan.
2: Yeah, I heard that. A lot of people talk about how different she is in the film compared to how she is in the series. And again, I haven't seen the series, but weirdly, and you know, it doesn't spoil my enjoyment of this film but I do agree with you that like I don't connect on any level with River Tam as a character and she freaked me out and it's not her fault but
3: having watched the show as well across the show and the film her brother likes her a bit too much it's a bit weird
1: (laughs) Simon (laughs) it's a bit
3: weird what's going on with Simon so it's not her fault I think Simon's a wrong
1: one Uh, he doesn't know what a safe word is for a start (laughs) that's not what that is (laughs) it doesn't make people fall asleep it's not supposed to make people fall asleep oh yeah
2: because that's a great line, though, where he goes. Because if I say, and Jane goes, "Don't say it," <laughs> I'm gonna not do that. Because I promised myself all my notes are quotes from this film, and I was like, I'm not gonna do the thing that annoys Chris more than anything, which is just quote a film for an hour. <laughs> so I'm really trying hard here. I like it when you do accents <laughs> with the quotes. i doing it. What's your safe word? <laughs> Don't. I've never, never found myself in a situation where I needed a safe word. I imagine it would be elbow. <laughs>
1: No, because that's more of a direction. Oh, yeah. Use the elbow. <laughs>
2: Sorry. All right, moving on.
1: Uh, moving that is your right fault. On. Where did you
2: think it was going to go? <laughs> Look who you're sitting opposite. <laughs> Use the elbow.
1: Elbow? What, you, yes. elbow, elbow. Did I say elbow, elbow or not? Did I fucking stutter? Use the elbow. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm Sorry. using a ball gag next time.
3: <laughs> on that rather grubby moment, let's take a break.
0: Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
1: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
3: And we're back with Mr. Universe, a.k.a. Mr. Exposition. Um, who's there to make us familiar with the venue for the film's finale and to sort of inadvertently tell us how they're going to save the day at the end of the movie Yeah, uh, but little else really um, but he's a useful side mission for the
2: movie <laughs> and he has a sex bot and he has a sex bot she's good yeah <laughs> in what
1: way yeah, she's a real person but she looks like a robot <laughs> <laughs> is she a real person? she must be they've, yeah, not, they've not built that's a, a robot that's an that's an that realistic that's an actress yeah <laughs> okay I can show you some websites
3: (laughs) Uh, they make a quick stop at the Haven mining colony where they find uh, their old friend Shepard Book Um, Haven I think as the name of a planet is a bit on the nose do you think (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's brief it's a happy cosy place that's all we need to know Uh, and that's a big moment for Longtime fans because Shepherd Book is a big part of the series and he's kind of gets very little screen time here. And then they had to a companion training house, uh, which is what Vicky was referencing at the start. Mal's unrequited love is Inara, who is a companion and she zooms them asking for help. And so, yeah, the companion uh, in the series was a big part of right. the show. And it's the idea is that sex workers in the future are noble. Yeah. The nobility, rather. They're high status people. And so um, they're sort of lucky to have her on their ship. And she's in love with Mal and Mal's in love with her. And it's a bit a bit moonlighting because they just argue with each other and they never get together. Uh, and the crew knows it's a trap that Inara or someone is, is setting for them because she isn't snarky to him, mm-hmm. which I think is a nice way of giving us backstory without sort of explaining yep. their relationship. Did you see us fight?
2: No? Trap.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mal comes to her in drag, which is something he likes to do in the series. He's a big fan of that. She says, never thought for a second you'd be stupid enough to come here. (laughs) And then the operative appears. And so we get uh, the first moment where Mal and the operative start talking to each other, which I like these scenes they have together. Unfortunately, Mm. this one, again, is over bloody Zoom. Um, But Wait, Who? The operative. Sorry, they're in the same room in this one, isn't yes. it? It's later yeah. that, they're, that it's over Zoom. But um, he talks about having uh, no stomach for games and you can't make him angry. And he tells him I'm, I'm armed. This Just is the second time Mal shoots someone.
2: Good, good dialogue. though. Is he goes when he goes, when he goes.
3: It's worse than you think. It usually is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's very Han Solo as well, mm. uh, shooting the unarmed uh, villain. Uh, well, I guess in the original Star Wars, yeah, of no, course that uh, did change, yes of course uh, they skate with anara she 's on the ship, but uh, she 's kind of i don 't know her character 's a bit undercooked in this film, a lot of the scenes that he shot and cut were scenes of the of the love story between Mal and anara so it 's the same, I think uh, that I guess he thought we will get opportunity to tell that story more in the future, which mm-hmm. never happened. You could so. have just
1: done it in that scene because when she 's like and that 's not incense, bang. It, that should come as a shock because she's on side straight away. She's like, I can't believe you've turned up. So, you know, she's on side, but they could spend a few minutes where we're not quite clear that maybe she's not going to be on side with him because she's so scared of the operative or she's into, you know, she's just changed their mind about whatever. Mm. So that when she says that's not incense, you're like, oh, you really were on the same team. That's yeah. fine.
3: But put, they put, do doubt, put doubt in our mind. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They go back to Haven and Shepard's place is burned up and destroyed. Everyone is killed. It's a scene from every Western you've ever seen and what
2: happened to Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru in Star Wars Mm. as well. It's that sequence. And Ron Glass, who plays Shepard, he couldn't uh, commit to a sequel, which is why they killed his character. Really? Apparently so. Mm. I mean, I don't know how they'd have done it any other way because you need this moment to motivate Mal for the second half of the movie. He, He gets his emotional death scene and we discover
3: that the operative is killing anyone who ever helped or sheltered the serenity. Yeah, that's which is really dark. dark and fun. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Really good. If uh, your quarry goes to ground, leave no ground to go to. So this is when they have uh, the Zoom conversation and the operative, we, we, we understand that he'll murder children if he has to. He believes in something greater than himself, a better world, a world without sin. And he even admits that he won't be able to live yeah. there. because that's great. Yeah, yeah. it's really good. Um, But there's kind of... And he says there's no place for Mal either. But Mal, I think Mal is getting worried now that if he... I think he's worried that if he believes in something, he'll become a monster as well. I think this is what frightens Mal's character uh, until he does change his mind at the end, that he will become someone like the operative. Do do you not think that's... But
1: is it not that there's a sort of low point but it's a little bit early for a low point when he orders his crew to come on this mission with him Mal does and basically says to people who are his friends and it's very made, it's this, You know, it's really hammered on we're family and all the rest of it and they don't want to do it anymore and he's like this is my ship if you don't do it I'll leave you here so how does that work track for his character because he's threatening the only family he's got to do what he says and that's not really I mean obviously he's the boss but you get the idea that it's worked through a, pr- a process of agreement and consensus broadly prior to that until this moment is it
3: it not because he's the only one that really understands the operative at this point and so
2: he knows they have to run and have to run in this way yeah is it also not just because by showing by doing something that he has never done before and would never normally do Mm -hmm. you get an idea of how serious he is and like what he's suddenly realized and how he has been changed by his conversation with the operative
1: yeah, but I just he, think to threaten your family, you could do. You could lie, you could deceive, you could trick them, but he outwardly threatens them. But I also think he's
2: sort of like he's really skirting the edges of uh, being in control here. You know, when he shoots the alliance guy mm-hmm. who pops out of the ship with his hands in the air, yeah,
3: because oh, yeah. the guy
2: was piloting the ship that killed Shepard. Third on man, he's mm-hmm. he shoots. Them. You yeah. sort of like Mal's, you know, in a bad place.
1: Yeah.
3: And so he decides to run. Uh, He's still not ready to stand and fight. So he disguises the Serenity as a reaver ship with bodies of his friends tethered to the outside. His
2: dead friends. Um, Do you think they strapped the dead body of the child to the ship, though? Well, yes. It's it's, it's a weird one. uh, Okay. I I wondered whether you'd sort of go, but not the kid.
3: Yeah.
1: That's no. a horrible afternoon's
3: work. He might have said it, but he didn't know. Tether them all to the ship and they make their escape. They fly through a astral field made of cannibals, Reavers, and they land on Miranda, which by this time uh, we realise is is not a person, but an unknown and uninhabitable
2: planet. And this is where it turns into one of the greatest Star Trek episodes ever. <laughs> uh,
3: they get there and it's a ghost planet. There are dead colon- colonists everywhere.
2: Do you know that planet, Miranda? That's actually a high school in uh, Pomona? Mm. California, like the buildings, the buildings. Wow, that is where people go to school. Fancy but they school. they dressed it up quite a lot, though. Mm. I mean, it doesn't look like that. It looks a lot like that. If you go online, look okay. look around. It
3: took a little virtual tour. Um, and we get a Sarah Paulson yes. appearing oh, in love her. a video. Yeah, I, I've I've not got into the Sarah Paulson thing.
1: It's weird, isn't it? I just am a little bit obsessed with her. I watched some
3: American mm. Horror
1: Story. American Horror Story, she's good. fantastic in mm. that. There's a film that was out this year where she plays like a deranged mum like drugging her kids to keep her compliant. Mm. She's fucking awesome. Ooh. Oh, well,
2: I watched that. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we did her. She was in um, Bird Box as well. I think the oh, thing yeah. is, she's in a lot of things that are a bit too the same now because you're right, obviously she's done what, like eight seasons or something of American Horror Story and yeah. then she did Ratship oh, as well. Yeah. And you're like, Ugh, yeah, this is, it all felt a bit like, you know, there's a lot on Netflix, which she is
1: in. She's in a lot of Netflix, yeah. <laughs> But
2: it's interesting. She's
3: known for drama now, but uh, Whedon cast her because of Down With Love because he said he likes casting comedy mm. actors in serious roles. And there was actually a different actress playing this part and it just wasn't working. He said, this is the most important scene in the movie. Uh, this woman has done something terrible, but we need to sympathise with her. And so he, he called her up and, and gave her the role. And it's funny, you said that you'd just seen a film where her giving drugs to a child to yeah. keep them complacent because <laughs> they've been giving drugs to the population
2: uh, to weed out aggression and keep them complacent. The first, I do remember seeing this for the first time and being like, this is amazing. Just seeing all the bodies, like this whole idea of people just laying down and dying, and yeah. stopping. Breathing wherever people, they are it's really effective. People
3: stopped fighting, then they stopped everything. They stopped going to work, talking, eating, and breathing. Thirty million people let themselves
1: the world, die. All what confused me. This is really nitpicky, but when they're on, when they're at the high school in Miranda, there's a person pressed against the glass like mm. they were trying to escape. Do you know, that? and that threw me a bit because it's like someone's panicked.
2: No, because it's their face that's pressed against the glass. They don't have their hands up. It's like they've just sort of collapsed against it and just (laughs) stayed there until they died. That makes sense now. Uh, But not everyone let themselves die because a tenth of the
3: population had the opposite reaction. Their aggressor's response increased beyond madness. They had no morals. Uh, They killed everyone. They did terrible things. They became the Reavers. Fast zombies. Yeah. Fast zombies. So Mal finally has his cause he needs to speak for these people and he knows the Alliance will try something this again. So he then delivers what Whedon calls his St Crispian Day speech um, because he's found his humanity, his purpose, and it's the film's purpose as well because all of Serenity become united now in this cause. I aim to misbehave. <laughs> Great line. And they head back to Mr Universe's place. Uh, he, he can put their message on every screen for 30 worlds, but he gets killed. Um, and that's interesting as well. That murder... Um, Chiwetel suggested uh, to Joss Whedon who incorporated it in the script because he thought you should see the operative doing something that isn't as reasonable as the things he seems to have been doing before to represent the character starting to lose his way Mm. um, or the course that he was on anyway Uh, and so in response Serenity flies at the operative and brings the Reavers with them gives them a taste of his own medicine and Wash
2: gets spiked yeah. Uh did this death upset any of you? Of course. It upsets me every single time I watch it. It's barely in the film. Yeah, but uh, yeah,
1: it's interesting. It, it it's the thing that I remember out, out of everything apart from the cool sort of dance, you know, fighting. Um and it was really powerful second time round. And it's it's powerful cuz she buttons it because she you know, she's not really allowed time to like get over it and she's like turns into so Zoe like turns into a bit of a zombie, but it's because you've done that Joss Whedon thing where he gets to deliver a cool line and it's so quick. What happens to him after that? And You think, well, you're safe, you've done your line and we'll move to something else. Mm-hmm. That's why it works.
2: I'm a leaf on the wind. Bang. <laughs> Watch me so Yeah, it's also because, uh, a lot of credit to um, Alan Tudyk because he is... A a very likable presence. Yeah. But as Always. Wash, the character, is sort of doubles down on his already likability. He plays a very sort of meek sort of, I just really like to pilot the ship and
1: yeah. I'll get involved in it. And he of really loves fights. his wife.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: So it um, works.
2: So that
3: wasn't in the first draft of the script. Uh, but Whedon wrote it in for a very specific reason. He wanted the film to feel like the wild bunch in that anyone can die on this mission. And at this point, he wants you to think maybe everyone will die mm. on this mission trying to stop the operative, that this is the end for uh, Serenity and also it gives as you say it gives Zoe her arc which is a nice way of subverting that trope because normally it's a woman die Mm. who dies to to make the man feel something in a film but here it's the other way around yeah Um, so Mal and the Operative have a brawl while the rest of the team try to hold the Reavers back Uh, Mal and the Operative they've got the jaws of death below them which is very Star Wars as well is it Return of the Jedi when it's all below them and it's you know when you're looking down the hole Mm-hmm and at Star Wars when Darth Vader's fighting um everyone Kenobi as well. Mm. So it's all very Star Wars here. Uh so while they're having their fight, um River springs into action and we witness her taking out the Reavers.
2: <laughs> Sorry. No, it's just a line where I think uh I can't remember who says it's Jane. Jane has some good lines in this where they go, mm. Do you really think any of us are gonna get through this? And he goes, <laughs> Well, I might. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the operative mm-hmm. does his Vulcan
3: death grip thing on Mal, and Mal should be paralysed. But there's a piece of shrapnel that took out that nerve, so we can't be paralysed. Yeah, but then
1: that's what's good. So now we're at the end, and I can talk about it. So when he does the nerve pinch and the falling on the sword at the beginning, and you're like, "Wow, that's dark," and you're so focused and all the rest of it, when he does it at the end, because he says the exact same line, you're like, "You're such a dick. Like mm. you're so you're proud and you're mm. performing and you're not this because you've got this cool thing you do and mm. you you can't help but do it again and this time it is. Isn't going to work, so it's mocking him. Yeah. Which is good, like a fun thing to do.
3: Yeah, I've got another. There's a deleted scene a bit later that I'll get to where I'm sad they dropped it because I do like it when you mock a villain who likes the sound of his own voice. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and makes sense, but then doesn't make sense because actually they're full of shit. Um, So uh, he smashes the operative in the throat to shut him up. Good, and then and then then shows him a world without sin uh, by playing in the video of the Mirandans dying, which is supposed to be a big moment for him, but. I don't buy into it. I feel like he knows this stuff, and this is why he's doing what he's doing. I think he believes in this. Are
1: you talking about the operative? Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. I, the film is saying what happened is so egregious; it counts, it goes against his deep run belief that he's working for the greater good. But he will accept, he will murder children. He's super clear about that. But this is too much, mm. and I don't buy that for one second. Yeah. He would pass that off. He would just be like, okay. That's unfortunate, but it whatever, it's, exactly yeah. whatever it exactly, yeah. whatever it takes to get there.
2: But. Two of face when he's watching the video and it cuts back to him, sells the shit out of it because yeah. he's mm. so good. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Oh, he's such a good act. Yeah. Uh, uh door opens and River's
3: standing on a pile of dead Reavers. She gets a her hero shot. Whedon said he basically wrote the movie so
2: he could film that shot. Working backwards again. It's interesting that Mal doesn't kill uh the operative yes. at that point because he has killed Shepard, he's killed kids, he's responsible for the like death of Wash inadvertently and so you're like why doesn't he just kill him and I think part of it like obviously you know aside from the sort of bigger idea that he comes back at the end and he's like you know I'm not even here anymore and all of that it's because he needs him in that moment to radio the men to stand down I never realised that before oh, yeah. he can't kill him because they're about to kill everyone. River and they're waiting on his command and it's him watching the video and still being alive to mm. tell him not to kill him
3: That's one of the things that Mary Parent suggested that you need uh, the operative telling the soldiers to stand down. Oh, really? Yep. She said that was a problem, and so Joss wrote it in. And interestingly, they hadn't shot a scene of uh, the them putting their guns down. So what they did is they used um, a scene where Joss Whedon had just yelled "cut" and the actors are putting their guns down because the scenes ended. <laughs> That's what's in the film. And if you look very slightly in the background, there's a flash that kind of stops it. There's a guy with a camera putting his camera down, but it kind of looks like a gun. So that's what they ended up using. And oh, wow. it just, it's just happens in a flash. Uh, so again, Mary Parent uh, knew uh, me, exactly what she was doing. Me and Mary Parent, eh? Great minds. Great the, minds. O- the opposite of bad studio in uh, interference there. So, yeah, the operative keeps blathering on. Um, He tells Mal, it's not over yet. I can't guarantee Parliament won't come after you. Uh, The Miranda broadcasters weaken their regime, but they are not gone and not forgiving. But the deleted scene... has the operative talking even more, asking Mal how he can go on when he's lost everything. Mal answers. And then as he's walking away, Mal mutters under his breath, what a whiner. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think it's a shame they cut that because I think it it really brilliantly undercuts uh, this villain that you've sort of semi-respected.
2: Yeah, I don't know, because I think it ends at the moment. So um, Mal says to him, I'd like to kill you myself if I ever see you again. And the last line of that scene is the operative going, you won't. There's nothing left to see, which I think is a really nice end to that scene. It is nice.
1: Or if you want a sequel, he says that, but you know through something he's going to go off and become even worse. But like a lone agent who's going to be your worst nightmare kind of thing. He
3: does kind of get off scot-free as well. He has killed their kid friends. Yeah. I think he gets off a bit easy yeah. here at the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I, there's nothing left of me. So yeah, you it. killed these kids that I'm mates with. <laughs>
2: I don't know, though, because I think if he died for his cause, that would be all part of his duty to him. And the idea to have had such purpose and then literally be nothing and have no identity, like to have sold out your humanity for this cause and then to have that cause like proved, you know, wrong, or worthless and he does like the way he delivers that sort of last line you're like he's, he, I, I don't know what he's going to do it's he's sort not facing
1: of, any justice <laughs> is he like, he just, gets he to just go feels a and, bit sorry for himself yeah, he might get over that
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, I read it as like you know he's just like he's a nothing like, the the idea, like, there's nothing left to see. It's like he doesn't even know what he I is doesn't anymore. But quarters. he
1: still killed I you. sentence you to ten years. No, you don't need to because there's nothing left of me. Oh, nothing? Your honour. Yeah. And then they're
3: back on the ship and Mal and Zoe agree that the serenity is tore up plenty, but she'll fly true. Oh,
1: they're not even talking about the ship. They're
3: not. They're talking about Zoe. <laughs> it's really yeah. good. I suppose so. Really I mean,
1: I don't know. That, I, I love her in that. But I, it's, is it a scene, like, play for comedy, where he's like, I, I, I am your friend, but I really don't want to talk to you about this stuff because that is so fucking awkward, and if you start crying, then I've got to hug you, and that is a nightmare. So great, you're fine. Okay, we'll never mention it again. Brilliant. Lovely. Mm.
3: And then they fly off onto another adventure. Mm. And Which... a bit flies off the ship, just like it did at <laughs> yeah. the start. We go full circle. Oh, yeah. And that other adventure never happened because the film cost $40 million and it made $40 million. As it turns out, the fans who bought those DVDs were the only people interested in further adventures <laughs> of Firefly. Which and is a fucking shame because it's a great movie. Yeah. So maybe if people had watched Serenity and then gone back to Firefly, like I did, mm. if you really cared, then we would have got more Firefly or Serenity. But no, nothing. It's on me. I'm well sorry. Well done, Alex. So any more? No. So we'll do the bits. Vicky, what's your favourite scene?
1: It's the opening. Um, because I was so pissed off with Outland and all the captions, <laughs> and I'd forgotten that how well this opens. And it, as a way of doing exposition, that's everything you want from a Joss Whedon film. It's perfect. So, yeah, the flashback to the video, to the this, to the whatever. Super quick. Get it done.
3: Brilliant. You've really opened my eyes to sort of elegant exposition (laughs) rather than clumsy words on screen. So thank you for that. And I I can't unsee it now. Yeah. And narration.
1: Yeah, you can't go back.
3: (laughs) Can't go back.
2: Uh, Alex, scene. Target the Reavers! Target the Reavers! Target everyone! Somebody fire! When the Reavers emerge from the cloud... It's amazing. The I'm operative interested that
1: you like that because the operative in him obviously is like shit. a clown.
2: He loses his shit because he's like, Mal's outwitted him and brought the fucking Reavers through the cloud. Yeah. And it's, uh, oh, I got goosebumps just talking about it. I get goosebumps every time that moment happens. I just think it's okay. amazing. My favourite scene
3: has changed. So this is the second time I've seen this film. Uh, the first time when I watched it, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, um, it was when River becomes the weapon. There was a real wow factor yeah, uh, in that scene. Uh it was coordinated by Chad Stahelski. I wonder if it's because of him. It doesn't wow me anymore. I think the, the action he's done since has overshadowed that a little it bit. It
1: seems almost a bit slow. Yeah, yeah it's but weird. at the time, but the time yeah, it was like it, was the be- I, it
3: blew my mind. So I just think we've, we've gone past yes. that. So I'm going to go for the scene at the beginning where the dude falls on the operative sword. Cool, okay. Um, it's just the moment that you know the villain's serious. And I always say this, I think a good blockbuster only works if the villain is strong. And from that moment on, this I'm frightened of this guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is my favorite scene. Now, Alex, who is your most valuable whatever?
2: Uh, impossible to pick. It's one of two, and it's so you're gonna you have to pick one. <laughs> well, Nathan Fillion then. But my other one was Chewbacca for. But Nathan Fillion, if I'm only that one, I think he's just amazing. I, I, I absolutely love him. I think he's just got he delivers every line in the best way possible, and he's just. Such a charismatic lead. I think he's phenomenal. You love him a little bit. I do love him. I I loved him a little bit when I met him. I
3: was but I understand starry-eyed. it, because of
1: the performative nature, you're supposed to, you're men, you're supposed to be like, oh, that's cool, like, it's not real, but it's cool. Yeah, and I know yeah. it's not real. No, I know, and I'm not judging you, I'm not saying, you know, there's plenty of performative um, versions of femininity that I love that aren't real, mm-hmm. like, of course, but that's also, what films are there for.
3: But also, he's very connected to this character in terms of his sense of humour, and weed. And so many times in that commentary, he says that was him, he made that line, he wrote that line, because... His sense of humour is so similar to Mal, So it f- I felt like I was talking mm. to a movie character. Yeah. Um, do you think he would have made
2: a good Ant-Man?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's because Ant-Man is a stupid character. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of
2: glad he wasn't Ant-Man. I think he would have been
1: good. That's um, not what you said to him. <laughs> <laughs> you said that he's no, well I did t- out of your league, mate. I
3: did tell him he'd All be right, good.
2: dreamer. <laughs>
1: I did tell him yeah, I, thought oh, I could be Ant Man. Yeah, so could I, mate. I
3: told her I think you'd be a great Ant Man. You, you but, just, you just, but. you just
1: won't be. You
3: won't. <laughs> you need to understand. He giveth that. and he taketh away. <laughs> uh, Vicky, who are you going for? Well,
1: I so, saw. what? Over the years, I would have said, you know, without watching it again, it would have been Summer Glau because you know the way she moves, what she does, it is incredible, and it does stay with you. And then watching it again, I really like Kaylee. And I read some uh, somewhere, Joss Whedon saying that she's like the heart of the ship. So mm. if she thinks something is true it is true and that's an awesome character note like to create a character wait because you've got this ensemble cast if she thinks it's right then you know as the audience it's right that's and that's an amazing job that he's done there but i suppose it's going to have to be fucking nathan fillion because it's Ooh! so bananas but he carries all of that performance <laughs> yeah without letting you for a second it would be so easy to be like but you're a bit of a dick actually but he doesn't let you do that not for a minute and carries a lot of it through that
3: you were going to say something there? No, no, no. I'll save it. I've got a change coming up. Okay. Uh, mine is not an actor. It's the character, the operative. Um, I just think he's a really interesting character. I would like to have spent more time with him, actually. And there was a lot more written for him and a lot more shot for him. But Weedon said that he became less interesting the more he spoke <laughs> and less and less frightening the more he explained himself. So yeah, I can see. And so he cut a lot of his dialogue. But yeah, I, I love that character. Uh, what would you change, Vicky?
1: Um, as someone who likes representations of technology on screen I think when you're sending a message to the universe that's a fucking send all button I just saw there and that's not good enough that's bullshit (laughs) is it really? does it say send all? send all to the CC the fucking universe (laughs) bullshit Um, so I'm not a fan of that but there's a massive fucking wide open goal there for Mal to use his feelings for Inara to his disadvantage Mm. she's just there on the ship with these very short crop top on and mm. nothing happens and he's all set. even I've never seen the series but I was like oh there's something here and she should do something that sets him at a disadvantage or he should think something about her that sets him at a disadvantage and it doesn't happen.
3: I agree I, I, that's one of my changes as well. Inara she just needs more to do the, 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 she's underserved by the script, uh, their romance is underserved and you're absolutely right like she should play
2: some part in, in Mal potentially you know failing.
3: Coming
1: undone kind yeah. of thing.
2: Uh, Alex? Weirdly, it's a Nathan Fillion line. It's one of Mal's lines, and it's the only line where I think he crosses over from being kind of cocky but likable into a bit of a dick thing to say, Mm. which is at the very end, unfortunately, um, where he's talking to Inara, and he says, ready to get off this heap, and she says, I don't know, sort of revealing that actually she might want to stay here because Mm. of him, and he goes, good answer, they're like oh, <laughs> that's that doesn't fit with Mel. That's it's yeah, too think, it's too much. I think just a smile and a not an acknowledgement mm. that she said that is all you need in that moment. You just need to go. Yeah, right. he has been touched by mm. that gesture, yeah. and he's not going to show her his feelings because that's their relationship. He's going to turn and walk away and smile to himself happily. Mm. He's not going to go. Good answer. Yeah,
1: and she she's like oh cool. Mm. So she has to. She loves that answer, which yeah. kind of doesn't fit as well because it is a bit. It's a bit just much. a bit cocky. Yeah. Bit, bit cocky, A bit too
2: much. Yeah, so that's that's my one change. Otherwise, the film is perfect. Oh, and give fucking Summer Glau some shoes.
3: <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I, I was saying at the start that the reason I was excited to watch this was because Chiwetel Ejiofor was in it, and because just Whedon, I do, I can find I blow hot and cold on his TV shows because I find the way that they talk, it's like the Dawson's Creek dialogue or the Diablo Cody dialogue yeah. where it's all the, it's all feels overscripted yeah. and everyone everyone talks. Well, in the one thing is, when
1: it works, you're right there, but when it doesn't work yeah. with Justice League, um, yeah. you it's just so jarring yeah. and so annoying. Buffy, Buffy
3: could, you- could do, I, I know, I know, people love the way he writes but buffy could do my head in with the way everyone was talking
2: in very Self-aware, scripted one line yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's weird because i don't i think after this movie i need to i couldn't watch that's maybe why i've not watched firefly cuz this movie and, and credit to the cast cuz they deliver that kind of dialogue perfectly it's nailed on but I couldn't do another hour of this. If this was an hour longer, mm. I'd be like, it's oh, exhausting. my God. Yeah. Well, where I was going
3: with that is I, f- I find the old frontier vernacular quite annoying. A like, little bit. Yeah. I- I could, you know, he-, he came up with an idea. He put it in his show. It could have worked. For me, it didn't work. Mm. And it just it makes me cringe every time they talk about their and and, mm. and start using those words. Mm. So... Um, But really, the Inara might
2: change. So that's it. Great stuff. That is Serenity done. Um, Outland versus Serenity. It's time for the verdict.
0: You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth!
2: Uh, So, my choices.
0: Uh,
2: Vicky.
1: Uh, Sue, so I wasn't that excited about watching Outland because it seems to me like one of your weird things that you've done just to piss people off.
3: Oh, what, like when he picked the relic when he was in a huff.
1: <laughs> yeah, like when you picked the relic. Peter Himes is my yes, huff boy. Yeah, Peter Holmes is your goal too when you want to make a point about the power that you have. Um, <laughs> what? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but Sean Connery's performance, again, because I had low expectations. I thought I honestly thought it was gonna be a piece of shit. And it's not. Mm-hmm. Um his performance is amazing. Dr. Lazarus is brilliant. It's, you know, because she was supposed to be a man and therefore she's awesome. Um and Serenity, I don't I don't love it as much as you two do, but uh, it, the action in Outland, I'm sorry, it is just dull and it is boring and it hasn't quite got the heft, the morality of High Noon in order to make that doable. So Serenity is a lot more enjoyable. So Serenity, there you go. Easy peasy. One for Serenity.
2: Chris Tilly.
3: I wouldn't say I love Serenity. I think it's really good. Okay. Is where is where I fall down there. So I think the two stories being told in Outland, the drug investigation and High Noon, have been told much better before and since. So I'm going Serenity because it's a cracking series finale and because it's a much better film than Outland.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's literally a better film. That
3: will do it. That'll
2: do it. It's <laughs> really simple
3: this week. Uh, so we have a
2: winner and the winner is Serenity. And for the record, I feel bad. This was never a fair fight. I did want to talk about Outland and I did enjoy talking about Outland and I think there is a, a, a real interest factor there... Uh, Serenity is my second favourite sci-fi movie of all time after Aliens. So, I mean, it was done before we even sat down today. So it's three for three on Serenity. Congratulations to Serenity. That's our winner. Right then, Chris, let's look ahead to next week. You gave us a very enticing clue on Monday's episode. What was it? Uh, We're keeping the wolf from the door. Keeping the wolf from the door, so to speak.
3: Go on then, what we do next week? Uh, Alex, I'm giving you Sound of Thunder by Peter (laughs) (laughs) Hyde.
0: Oh, yeah. Finally. I oh, know. I've been waiting for this
3: big day. That was a joke. Uh, I'm ending our Jerry Goldsmith run after five weeks, I'm afraid people. What? What's he done to you, man? Uh, because Vicky, from 1981, I'm giving you an American Werewolf in London.
2: Lovely. <gasps> Please let me have American Werewolf in Paris. Please let me have American
3: Werewolf in Paris. <laughs> Alex, mm-hmm. from 2002. You've got Dog Soldiers. <gasps> oh, exciting times. So, American Wealth in London is available on Sky Cinema if you're in the UK, and uh, Dog Soldiers is available to rent on Amazon.
2: OK. And if you don't have Sky, where would you watch American Wealth in London? Probably Amazon. Get Sky.
1: <laughs> is working for you now <laughs> <laughs>
2: who's got the power <laughs> uh, alright then lovely stuff so that is your homework um, we are doing American Werewolf in London versus Dog Soldiers good luck with your Werewolf weekend I hope you enjoy those we'll be back on Monday talking American Werewolf in London until then if you haven't already please subscribe to us on Apple Spotify wherever you get your podcast follow us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at ClashPod and don't forget London Podcast Festival check out their website or check out our Twitter for details of how to get tickets our first ever live show on the 4th of September at 9.30 pm here in London. I hope you can come back on Monday. Bye-bye
0: This was a stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.